Let's go. Welcome to Citizen. We have a very special guest today, Dr. Kate Pate. I was complaining before the show that I don't like when things rhyme. So this may be rough. Bring it. <laughs> Let's go. Um, yeah, tell me about uh, tell me about yourself, your background, and and what you're currently up to. Sure. Um, so, background. Um, I I've done medical research in a ton of different areas over the years. So I have a PhD in neurophysiology and wanted thought I wanted to do the academic route that all PhDs do, but it was pretty miserable. And I found very quickly that I'm not really wired for that. Um, but I did, I did try it. I worked in academia for a long time doing medical research on cancer and radiation biology, um, arthritis, neurotrauma was a big one. That was my primary passion and still is. Um, but we were looking at a lot of different things over the years and then transitioned into working at a medical school teaching medical students, which I love, love to teach. Um, but again, it just felt kind of claustrophobic and not really, um, not a lot of room to innovate, believe it or not, in the traditional medical world. Um, and I had a brother who was a medic in special operations at the time that I was teaching at a medical school. And I had a really cool opportunity to, to sort of leave the academic world behind and work for a small business um, doing military medical research. They hired me to start up a combat casualty care research program. And um, that kind of kicked off things in the military sphere for me, where all of the research that I was doing pivoted to focus solely on battlefield medicine. Um, love that, really passionate about trauma medicine. I still do that. So I found ended up founding my own company, which is called Karuna Medical. And that's um, one of the many things that I do, but it's something that, you know, is ongoing for us. We've had research projects going on since 2015 um, that we inherited when I founded my company and we're still developing new ideas and products to help people heal, whether it's on the battlefield or off um, prior or after service, um, prior to or after uh, retirement from service. Um, but while I was doing all of that work in the military world, I started to, you know, as my friend group grew to include uh, primarily these days, 90% um, either veterans or active duty service members, a lot of first responders too. Um, I, I started to see this other side of the military medical world, which was the friends that I had who, you know, whether they were medics or had experienced some sort of trauma on the battlefield, um, what I was realizing is that they were dealing with a lot of other things that people weren't talking about, just chronic stress and sleep deprivation, just the cadence of of that profession. But also, I mean, they were bringing childhood things into the mix and, you know, they were just dealing with a lot and um, people weren't okay. And then you add traumatic brain injury to the mix and, you know, you've got a lot of complex issues going on physiologically, mentally. And I felt, I mean, I studied traumatic brain injury, and so I had a decent understanding of the neuroscience, but I was not equipped to have conversations about suicide and mental health and all of the things that people were calling me about. And that, I, fe I felt like I was at a loss. And so that took me in a direction of trying to understand everything I could possibly understand about mental health as it relates to this population which, you know, at the end of the day, we're all human. So it applies to everyone across the board, but there are certainly unique things that people from these career paths experience. Um, so that kind of took me in a new direction of trying to explore uh, what do we know about tools 
what are the tools out there for healing, whether it's healing from a brain injury or post-traumatic stress or, um, you know, getting through a divorce in, in a healthy way, um, you know, diff different things like that, that I was trying to wrap my head around so I could just disseminate really complicated research and science in a tangible way to people who, you know, they didn't want to read journal articles. They were just like, hey, what can you tell me about this stuff? So that that took me in a new direction, uh, coaching and educating as best I could, whether it was one on one or in group settings, like on retreats. I've worked with a lot of nonprofits um, in, in that kind of capacity just to educate people, because mm. I feel like if you arm people with information and they understand a little bit better what's going on for them then now the problem is you can wrap your arms around it. You know, it's tangible. That means there's something you can do about it. If you see, hey, this is what it took to get me here. Now I can see a roadmap how to get back or how to get to this new place wherever sure. I wherever I want to go. Um, and that that's the company that I founded called The Way Back. That's, that's under that company that I do mm. all of that work. Um, and that's really what I'm most passionate about these days. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, it's... Um any kind of research study or, or anything like that you're going to do begins with a problem statement, right? And if the problem statement mm -hmm. isn't accurate, then you're kind of spinning your wheels a little bit, or at best you're just lost. Um, yeah. And I, you, you mentioned that this particular group of people is, uh, is unique. Their experience is unique. That's definitely true. Um, I think a, a big part of the issue is we've not been able to be we've not been able to be frank about this because what happens, especially mo in modern times with warfare is we try to moralize it, right? It's, it's tough for people to have conversations about this stuff. Um, <clears throat> and because it's so taboo, I guess, um, I think the broader public and, and political class kind of associate the quote unquote moral injury with having to kill people in combat. Um, but in my case, and as has been my experience with other shooters, that's usually not the issue. The issue is that we've done all this and sacrificed all that and lost friends for a cause that was entirely short of noble, right? Um, you, you kind of get, how do I put this? Um, internally, the way you quantify all of this, your sacrifice and justify it in your own mind is the nobility of the cause, right? And you're, you're stripped of your honor when the cause is not just. We, we've, mm -hmm. we've all run into that. That's been going on since Vietnam in this country and maybe to some degree Korea, although I don't think we really articulated it that well back then. Um, but yeah, it's being able to have frank conversations about shit is mm -hmm. something that the first 10 or 15 years of this particular style of treatment just didn't afford people for whatever reason. The, the, general, yeah. the general public doesn't want to hear that. Um, when I'm at home, I'm thinking about being in combat. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. that's not necessarily a negative emotion for me. That's just where I feel comfortable and I don't have a problem doing that work. They don't want to mm -hmm. hear that stuff because it makes me seem like a fucking psycho. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's the, that's the common disconnect that's been perpetuated. I have a lot of friends that are have no ties to the military community and they know what I do and they've reached out asking like, hey, I, I want to help and support, but I literally don't even know how to talk to a veteran. And I'm like, that's the problem right there. You, you know, just saying something like that and really um, perpetuating the disconnect by just saying like it's it's a problem bigger than my understanding, I, I think is unhelpful. I, I think, you know, we yes, there are unique experiences that people have, 
Um, but we, we all are human and we have to just stop trying to um, avoid the uncomfortable conversations, whether it's with somebody from this community or somebody from any other walk of life that may be different than yours. And that's a huge problem that people have these days and people don't know how to fumble through conversations. They feel like if they can't get it right, which whatever that means, if they can't get it right or they can't do it perfectly, then um, they'd rather avoid that discomfort or mm. the embarrassment. And it's like, you got to just say like, look, I don't, maybe I don't have the right words, but you know, I'm, I'm, you know, coming at you as a, as a human being and I want to like understand what you're going through and just listen. That's the best advice I could give anybody is just listen. Yeah. Listen and don't uh, just wait for your turn to speak. Right. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, you got to be comfortable with the idea that you might not understand what's happening there. Um, mm. And, you know, uh, I guess people like to be heard. People like to be understood. And, and it can be pretty uncomfortable to have someone like if if, for example, a woman was explaining uh, a rape, her rape to me, I would have mm -hmm. no way to quantify that feeling. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. I would have no advice to give that that's you know, based in any kind of experience or anything, but, you know, you can still listen. And yeah. I think sometimes just because we, especially for tra traumatic shit like that, we don't mm -hmm. necessarily, we don't necessarily do a good job in our internal dialogue, you know, of processing things when just, just yeah. the act of saying it out loud, even if it's to a stranger, sometimes and you see that a lot. Now people mm -hmm. just confess horrible things, not that they've done, but that have happened to him to strangers and immediately feel some sense of relief. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you bring up a really good point, though, in that um, I think it helps to just have that conversation and to have somebody listen. But you're right in that it is hard when somebody can't quite grasp what it is that that person's experienced. And I think that's where we have to um, seek out because uh, no one's, you know, people aren't necessarily going to come to you or do this for you. We kind of have to take it upon ourselves to go find people who might have similar experiences that we can talk to about certain things. So we don't feel like we're the only one going through it or that like, I must be fucking crazy because I'm having these thoughts. Mm. And then all of a sudden you talk to six of your buddies and, and they're like, Oh yeah, yeah, me too all the time. And you're like, Oh, well shit. Like I didn't know it's because nobody talks about it regularly. And if we actually did have these conversations, we probably figure out that actually there's a lot more going on. That's that we have in, in common you know, whatever that group may be, um, then we would think, but you know, there's a lot of shame and there's a lot of, we live in a time it's fucking weird, but it's like, no matter what you say, somebody has an opinion about it or somebody's going to try and jump on you about it. Take the opposite end of the, you know, stance on whatever it is that you're saying. And you're like, I'm just trying to share an experience here. <laughs> like <laughs> I'm not looking for judgment or right or wrong. Like, but that's, I think people are afraid of that because they see a lot of it these days and you just can't win sometimes. Sure. But uh, I think that deters people. Yeah, it you. definitely does. I've been blessed uh, to not give a fuck about what people think. It's really nice. <laughs> it it's a superpower yeah. sometimes. But uh, yeah, it is, uh, you know, the, just not having these very frank conversations. And look, a lot, I guess one of the ways that I did give a fuck and one of the ways that, that it did affect me during my time in service is that, you know, you know something's wrong with you, you know, something's up and that you're not performing, uh, at your highest capability. But you also know that if I go get, if I start the process of looking into this, 
then there's a decent chance that I'm going to get pulled off the line and can't do my fucking job anymore. You know what I mean? And if you want mm-hmm. to talk about, there's no greater moral injury in my opinion than, than uh, survivor's guilt. I think that's probably the worst uh, yeah. that, that people like us experience. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't understand why. I mean, I guess, I guess all of this, the, the, how long it's taken for us to get a decent grasp on all this stuff is probably a confluence of those things of, you know, a system that doesn't like half the people don't really give a shit about it. And the other half don't, don't understand it. And then the, 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 if you want to call it the, uh, the patients involved aren't going to self-report very frequently because of the consequences of doing so. So I understand, Mm -hmm. I, I understand how we've gotten here, but we have, I feel like we've got a pretty, we've got our arms around this issue at this point. And I still yeah. don't see, I mean, there's organizations like yours that do a lot of stuff. Um, we work with a number of organizations that do, you know, psychotropic drugs and stuff like that. Um, there's All Secure Foundation with the Satterleys and things like, there's a lot of stuff going on out there. But the broader system, like the institution of government that's supposed to be handling this completely fails. They have, it's not, it's not even that they fail. They don't even try to address these issues for the most part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, they don't. And it's, um, yeah, I think that's why all these organizations are popping up because it's, you know, people are realizing we have to take this into our own hands. Like, you know, that, that phrase, no one's coming, it's up to us. Like that's, that's now being applied to uh, the transition out of the military or the healing process of whatever you're, you know, quote unquote healing from. Um because it, it isn't being done well. I mean, these nonprofits wouldn't have to exist if, if there was a program in place or an institution in place that was doing its job appropriately. And it's complicated. And so what you, what I'm seeing, even here, we've got a lot of really cool nonprofits that are doing great work in uh, the military community. Um, I used to work with Heroic Hearts Project mm-hmm. that does the um, yeah, I know those guys. ayahuasca. Yeah. Um, doing great work there too and and vets is doing great work with the you know psychedelics um access to various tools for healing psychedelics being one of them but um you know they're all doing a piece of the puzzle and it's a complicated puzzle and so you know all the nonprofits are existing because there are gaps still but you know no it seems like nobody has the silver bullet because i don't think there is one i think that there's this is a complex problem that requires you know, approaching it from a lot of different angles. And unfortunately, the government's like, you know, this is <laughs> the, the VA system is sort of like, it's such a big problem. And they're so far behind. And there's so much bureaucracy that it's like, I wonder if they'll ever get caught up. Uh, things have been moving so quickly. And so it's, you know, again, these organizations are existing outside of that to try and fix the problem. And it's usually a person who's like, hey, I found healing through this modality. I want to shout it from the rooftops and provide it for all my buddies. And that's how, you know, it usually ends up going. But Yeah. And there's definitely no one, um, I guess, path or treatment program that's going to affect everyone the same way, you know, because biologically speaking, as similarly as we, as similar as we are, you know, we're quite a bit different when you look at, look at us at the granular level, but there are mm-hmm. some things that are pretty ubiquitous treatment wise. Yeah. I mean, um, the the first and most obvious is sleep. We don't none of us sleep particularly mm-hmm. well. Um, mm-hmm. None of my friends sleep well. None, no one that I know, including myself, sleeps well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a there's a variety of reasons for that. I mean, you know, one of the biggest issues I face is uh, it, it's I don't I don't feel comfortable 
losing my edge. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like I've got an edge right now and, and as fucked up as the world right now, I feel like that's, that might be a necessary thing. I, mm-hmm. so, to some degree, that's probably irrational because it is, it is possible to, to smooth the edges of this a little bit without, you know, becoming, I don't know, a, a Gen Z pussy. I don't know how to phrase it really, but everybody's such a bitch these days. Um, but sleep is important and, uh, Maybe the most important thing. It's like how our brain heals itself at night. You know what I mean? Yep. It's, it's how we uh, – I heard a stat yesterday from my buddy, uh, Jeff DePazzi. Uh, well, I don't know if you've run into him. He's a Canadian JTF2 guy. He, he's, a, he's a really good guy. Um, but there are studies that show that if after a traumatic experience or, or um, – prolonged exposure in combat if that if that night i get a full like six to eight hours of sleep that night if i reach rem sleep that night that i'm 70 percent less likely to de- develop post-traumatic stress disorder 70 percent yeah. less likely and then if yeah. i get if i reach rem sleep the night after that as well then i'm another like 40 percent less likely right mm-hmm. so i mean mm-hmm. that's those are the, that's a pretty that's a pretty broad stroke right there that you can achieve immediately. And one of the yeah. issues, like we, we do most, most of our stuff is most of the treatments are reactive. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and some, sometimes by necessity, like you've still got to, you got to win the fight and you got to get off the X before you can start treating stuff. But getting, yeah. getting sleep that next day is something that we can probably look into. Right. I mean, we can make that mm-hmm. part of our battle tempo, I think. Yeah. Sleep. I mean, there were, um, yeah, sleep is the one thing that is, it seems elusive for most people. And it's the one thing that will make all of your other symptoms worse if you don't get enough of it. And so people are, and then, you know, of course people self-medicate just to try to get a little bit of sleep, which then you may keep you unconscious for eight hours, but it's poor quality sleep. So it just exacerbates the problem. But when you're desperate, I mean, you know, people try, they're willing to try anything. But I remember I was at a research conference, I think it was um, Special Operations Medical Association a few years ago, and they were talking about shifting the um, time of PT in the morning instead of from, you know, like instead of waking people up at four, um, letting them sleep till like, I think it was like seven. So they shifted everything three hours, but they made people go to bed earlier. And so essentially they got the same amount of sleep, but they shifted when they went to bed and when they woke up and they found that performance and i don't remember how long that they you know they did this prior to testing but it was cognitive and physical performance went it, it, like it increased like 35% or something like that just by shifting that time of wake up and there was something critical about the 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. time frame which a lot of people wake up in that time frame because they have to whether you're in the military or uh, you know, your whatever your shift work or just early riser, or whatever that might be, uh, or you're, you know, like shift work overnight and you're like finally going to sleep at nine in the morning. And so, you know, there's something to that, that we could absolutely investigate and do a better job of the little tweaks here and there. Um, but sleep, you're right, is like, is so important. And most people, you know, they'll, they'll talk about it. Like people don't know what sleep hygiene is. And they're like, well, have you tried sleep hygiene? And people are like, you tell me one more time, sleep hygiene, you know, cause they're doing it and they're still not sleeping mm-hmm. well. So that's, that's where I think there is a disconnect. Cause a lot of people are like, oh, you're probably just not like, you don't have a good bedtime routine. And, you know, I bet that's true for some people, but even, I mean, I know people who are like really diligent about doing everything they can possibly do. And especially if you have a history of any kind of TBI, 
you know, your sleep insomnia is a big problem. And it, that goes deeper than just your, your behaviors prior to sleep. Well, if you had any, I mean, I obviously there's a lot that goes into this, but where would you recommend people starting when, if they're having, cause I think that's probably the, the, it's one of the two biggest problems. The other one is low testosterone. We'll talk about that in a minute, but, uh, yeah. what would your immediate advice be for somebody who just broadly has insomnia because of traumatic brain injury or whatever else is going on with them? Yeah. I mean, the, the, the low hanging fruit where I tell everybody to start is getting your hormones checked. Absolutely. Cause if those things are off for whatever reason, they could be impairing your sleep. Uh, testosterone being one, but there's many, including mm. like upstream releasing hormones that if that stuff's off, you know, your circadian rhythm can be off and your sleep could be fragmented. So I, I do think that that's a really good place for most people to start. So you mean just, like your brain doesn't produce melatonin at night? Well, or, or... I, I don't know that. I actually don't know that. Um, I, it's possible that following TBI melatonin is uh, impacted in a negative way. I don't, I'm not sure on that. Um, but essentially the inflammation following the traumatic brain injury can lead to neuroendocrine dysfunction. So mm -hmm. in theory, that would be a possibility, but all upstream hormones, you know, in your hypothalamus and pituitary gland, which are in your brain, mm -hmm. um, could be impacted by that. Um, so it, yeah, it's I know, something like, that when, when I got first diagnosed with it, I was producing prolactin at like, I think 30 times the level I was supposed to, for those of you who don't know, it's something produced in the pituitary gland and it essentially kills testosterone. So even if your body's making it correctly, it's still, you're still fucked. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's really common in men and women. And we talk a, a lot about, you know, the effects in men just because this community is primarily male, but. Um, women can have, um, because of menstrual cycles and your hormones being totally different at different times of the month, sometimes it's protective getting a TBI at a certain time. And other times you may fare far worse than a man because of the time of the month and the hormones that are actually on board at that time. And your outcome and recovery might be far worse. And, you know, nobody really talks about that that often, but um, it does, it, all those things matter. And then sleep is the one thing that is just, it's, it's so important for recovery, but it's a double-edged sword, right? Cause you have a tra traumatic brain injury and now it's impairing your sleep, but you need the sleep to heal. So getting the hormones checked is a huge thing. Um, I also am a huge proponent of cardio, uh, cardiovascular activity. So not, you know, again, guys from this community like to, you guys like to beat the shit out of yourselves. And I don't mean like that level of, of soul crushing workouts. Sometimes that amplifies your sympathetic nervous system, which makes it difficult to sleep. So by, you know, doing those soul crushing workouts in the gym, you may, may actually be doing a disservice. Even though you think you're wearing yourself out, you may be promoting more sympathetic activity and that balance may be shifting more on the sympathetic side, which keeps you amped. Or like, you know, you said, you like to keep your edge. Um, being more in that zone or being able to access it quickly is part it's that's the sympathetic nervous system. And, and that response is, is really powerful and strong and it does feel really good, but it can definitely, um, impair your sleep. So can, that's something else. Can yeah, you explain this, explain sympathetic nervous system to me? I mean, I know what it is. Mm -hmm. I just want the audience to understand what that really yeah. is. So essentially our, our nervous system, we've got um, a part of it that's under our control. So the voluntary part that moves our voluntary muscles. And then we've got a part that's sort of automatic or it's called autonomic. Uh, and it sort of runs things, whether we're asleep or awake or whether we want them to work or not. So you can think about like your heartbeat um, and, and, you know, endocrine function. You can think about um, uh, blood pressure. There's a lot of things going on in our body 
body that are happening at all times, whether, you know, we, we don't we don't consciously think about that. Mm. So that's the part of your nervous system. And it essentially prepares us for whatever we need. So if we need to sleep, if we need to digest food, if we need to procreate, if we need to fight a tiger, um, it basically mobilizes resources in our bodies to to be ready for any of those mm. events. So there's a, a side of it that is more activating. So preparing us for, you know, we may have, people may have heard of fight or flight and it does far more than that, but that's sort of just the, you know, trendy kind of pop science sure, yeah. uh, phrasing of it. And that's the sympathetic nervous system and it prepares us for, you know, being activated. So a practical um, example of that is just the amygdala turning on and making blood rush to your legs when there's a, a, there's a loud noise or something or making you angry when there's a loud noise because you've associated that with danger. Your, your legs are getting ready to go operate, to go fucking run somewhere. But it, it, yeah. all, it all happens involuntarily. So it's not like you can think your way out of that problem, right? Right. Yeah. So like your amygdala is involved in a number of different emotional responses, fear being being one of them. And so this all happens through learning. If you've ever associated a loud noise with something dangerous or like a stick may look like a snake at first glance and you freak out and you can feel that rush of adrenaline and then you're like, oh, it's just a stick and you kind of calm down that almost automatic sub perceptive um, response, it's happening so fast that literally you haven't even like been able to think, oh, that's a stick. Your your that rush has already happened. And so that's the part of your nervous system that uh, it's it's heavily it can be heavily rooted in fear for sure. Uh, fear is a, is a strong activator of the sympathetic nervous system. Um, it also activates a part of your uh, endocrine system called your hypothalamic pituitary adrenal uh, axis. But you know, adrenals are just one end organ. It also does thyroid and, and others. But um, that gets mobilized as well in those um, situations that are requiring you to be more activated to deal with like a tiger or mm. whatever is coming at you. I'm sure you've run um, into this uh, in your studies, but it, one of the things we found is that um, people in the, uh, in the shooter community, infantry and special operations, they burn cortisol at a much higher pace than their counterparts for some reason. Um, I don't know why that is. Uh, uh, there, there are some studies that show that people, that the vast majority, like 80 plus percent of operators and folks like that um, had some kind of trauma in their childhood, whether it's broken home or abuse or something like that. And they, that's, mm -hmm. that's the general consensus is that that's probably what's going on there. Um, mm -hmm. But it's a benefit to be able to burn cortisol like that. It's also a benefit, I think, uh, to train oneself. Well, I said you can't think your way out of this problem, but that doesn't mean you can't classically condition your way out of the problem, right? When you start, because that's what we do when we're training. We associate, we, we contextualize fear and decide if it's a smart move to move towards it or move away from it, right? And I, there's mm -hmm. nobody on earth better at it because nobody nobody really goes through those paces. You know what I mean? It's just not, yeah. it's not something that happens in ordinary life very much anymore. So I think yeah. it's, I think it is a strength in a way if you can adapt it to your new environment, right? Because being, yeah. being able to operate in chaos, even if it's not gunfight chaos, maybe it's just a fire in a movie theater or some shit, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And being able to marshal that resource and help people, you know, mm -hmm. and, it, and it also tackles the issue, which I think is that aside from the physiological problems, uh, the, the extreme lack of purpose is something mm -hmm. that's that's crippling our community right now and i think it kind of addresses that because you feel like you feel right. like a value add 
again. And that was kind of what drove us to do this in the first place. Mm hmm. Yeah, I want to touch on a couple of things there. Um, I, I have definitely observed situations where, you know, somebody was injured or somebody, you know, had a, a car accident or whatever it was where it just out in the civilian world, things happening. And so many people without any experience and, you know, you can't blame them in the sense that they didn't train for this. This was they're just going about their lives. It's not their job, um, but they freeze, you know, people who need help who are uh, in danger and they're just people are frozen. They, they don't or they ignore it because they just don't know what to do. And they're like, I, I can't be, th you know, this isn't about me. Somebody else will come and help. And, you know, a lot of my friends from the military and first responder communities are always the ones, men and women both, who run towards those things. And it is part of its training. I think to your point, part of it is also just kind of how people are wired. And that's partly why they potentially seek out some of these jobs and these professions. And I think it's a really beautiful thing because we need more of that in the world where people are, you know, d helping each other more and ignoring each other less. Um, and then something else about the physiology, I always tell people that you can't think yourself out of a sympathetic state, but you can mm. breathe yourself there. Mm. So one of the fastest ways to take, take that, like, keep it'll still you'll still have your edge but you can kind of back off of that red line a little bit to where you have the edge and you're functional mm. and you're not just like through the roof and breath work is a really quick and easy way to do that and i don't uh just mean box breathing which i think a lot of people have familiarity with but there are some different techniques um that you can do anything that prolongs an exhale um, so, you know, just, if you can't remember anything else, just remember, take as long as you can to exhale. And that can really help move you from that fight or flight sympathetic state into more of a parasympathetic state. And that's more of the calm rest and digest, uh, or feed and breed, depending on which one you like. Mm. But, um, those are the, that's the, the more, um, calm, I guess, part of the nervous system. Do you know why that time. happens? Like why physiologically a longer exhale calms you down a little bit? Yeah. So it has to do, we have these respiratory, um, we're going to get super nerdy here. I'll try and keep it, uh, manageable, but it's, we have these respiratory afferents or these, um, essentially they're nerves that run from the respiratory system. So the lungs, the diaphragm, your intercostal muscles, mm -hmm. um, back to the brain and they, um, respond to different things, um, in different ways. So one of the things that, um, happens, with a deep inhale is that you have the stretch of the lungs and you have a rush of blood back into the heart. And so that the essentially the res physiological response to that is to um, have those afferents feed back into the part of the brain that activates the sympathetic nervous system. And when you do the opposite, the feedback essentially does the reverse. And so the feedback then switches into the parasympathetic side. So it's I don't want to get too detailed on no, it. No, I but think that's good. That's, I think that's good because yeah. people that this is the kind of this is what you would tell to somebody that has panic attacks and right. being able to visualize what is actually happening with you physiologically, I think calms people down who don't necessarily understand the symptoms they're experiencing. So I think it's yeah. good. Get as nerdy as you want with it. Okay, cool. Yeah. So the, the exhales are, are really helpful. Another um, another thing that I tell people is to try resonant breathing, which if, if you have any kind of devices like you know, heart rate monitors and, and a cool app, you can definitely get it really detailed and specific to you. But just if you can't remember it, or if you don't have access to that, I just tell people a four to five second inhale followed by a six to seven second exhale. 
Again, prolonging the exhale, making sure it's always longer than your inhale. And there's something about the timing of that rhythm of breathing. So there's no breath holding at all in that one. It's just cycles of inhale and exhale. Um, there's something about that one that syncs up your respiratory rate to the other physiological systems that we have in our body. So everything from our chemoreceptors to our heart rate, all of these things have rhythms to them. And there's something about that rhythm of breathing that increases resonance, which is why it's called resonant breathing, which essentially kind of amplifies all of the systems operating at once. Um, they kind of align in their rhythmicity, if if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And there's something about that that's really helpful and it promotes um, increased heart rate variability. So anyone out there who's like, you know, athlete or nerd with that stuff, increased heart rate variability is a, a good sign of, of mm -hmm. good, you know, solid mental health, physical health. And usually when we have low heart rate variability, it's a sign of Chronic stress, fatigue, mental health, poor mental health. There's a number of factors that play into that. But you mean um, like if 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 my average, if somebody has a high average heartbeat, 85, 90, right on the higher end of normal, um, and they exercise and it only gets up to like 110, 120, as opposed to somebody uh, like I, I guess I, I would be an example, 65 to 70 is my normal. And when I exercise, I'm between 130 and 150 typically, right? That's a that's mm -hmm. a that's a pretty good that's a pretty good stretch. It means you're like your heart, if, if it's, if it's low variability, explain why that's not a good thing, I guess. Yeah. So essentially what it means is it's not, it's not necessarily the rate from like rest to activity. Okay. It's more of like the interbeat interval. So from moment to moment. So for example, if you're a really resilient system, um, when you take a deep breath in, you'll notice your heart rate speed up. Mm. And then as you exhale, it slows down. And that's part of that sympathetic, parasympathetic nervous system response. But it's also due to just mm. reflexes in your, in so, your so, heart. So your, your body's not overreacting when you take a deep breath, essentially. is I mean, that's reductive. Correct. But that sounds like what it is. Yeah. So like when you're calm, that's what happens. Mm. Now, if you're um, stressed or scared, your heart rate spikes because now you're more in the sympathetic side of things. And so the variability that you're going to have when you take that deep breath in and that exhale mm. out, is actually not going to change all that much. You're going to stay pretty regular in that interbeat interval because you're already at like a high rate, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So and it usually has to do with you being more in the sympathetic side of your nervous system. On a, on a regular basis, the balance is more on that side than the parasympathetic side. And that usually means lower heart rate variability. You might still get your heart rate up pretty high when you exercise, but it just from moment to moment, it isn't able to adapt to what is what else is happening. And so it's actually a really good thing when you see that, you know, you're, if you look at a readout of your heart rate, it's not just this perfect rhythmic thing. It might be, um, you know, somewhat variable as you inhale, exhale, move, sit up, get down, you know, sit down, stand up, that type of thing. Um, so that's sort of what it refers to. Mm, that's interesting. And uh, the I, I guess the in vogue thing to, to do now is to look into psychotropic drugs. I mean, it's becoming more and more <laughs> popular. Um, yeah. I feel like some people just wanted to do mushrooms, so they f figured out a reason to do it. And you know, sure, God yeah. bless, because mushrooms are awesome. I don't blame you. Um, <laughs> definitely better I'm a big, for your big fan. Yeah, yeah same. It's definitely better for your body than alcohol. Although, you know, I yeah. I enjoy that as well. But, um, yeah. I've uh, I guess I had the good fortune of 
being an early adopter, like a pre-military adopter of psychotropic drugs, uh, just recreationally. Well, mm-hmm. I guess it wasn't entirely recreational. I, I did have some, uh, some issues, but, um, yeah, I, I think, uh, it's really interesting to see how, especially with things like uh, ayahuasca is, I, I've never really gotten anything out of that to be honest, but DMT I've done really well with. And I don't mm-hmm. know, uh, can you, can you, you guys are working with some of this stuff. I imagine you mentioned wound or, uh, uh, uh the guys Heroic at Hero Cards. Um, mm-hmm. Can you explain to people who are maybe reticent about trying this stuff what the benefits are and, and mm-hmm. you know, maybe how they should approach it uh, uh, academically before, you know, getting involved yeah. or something like that? Yeah, there's I mean, there's a number of different substances out there. Um, people call them plant medicines, entheogens, psychedelics. You can you know, there's a bunch of different names for them. Um but there's a number of different ones. It's not just, you know, LSD and MDMA anymore that, you know, people probably heard about with party drugs and recreational drugs. Um, but those actually have incredible therapeutic potential, as do um, things like I mean, ketamine, which it's not really a psychedelic, but sometimes gets lumped in. And that's actually a, a legal substance. Uh, you can currently go go to get ketamine assisted psychotherapy in a lot of places. Um, but MDMA, LSD, psilocybin, ibogaine, ayahuasca, you know, DMT or 5-MeO DMT. There's there's a number of different ones out there, and there's a lot of tradition and ceremony around some, and maybe less around others. Some are synthetic and made in a lab. Some come from plants, um, and uh, essentially, the best way that I can describe how they work is um you know and everybody of course will have a very different response to it and um you know people will have unique journeys and experiences but uh, the best way i heard it described is um if you can think about the way that we live our lives and the patterns the habits and that could be it's not just about you know like addictions in the sense of um substance use or behavioral addictions i'm think i'm talking about even like thoughts thought patterns the the way of thinking so like maybe a harsh inner critic or always being pessimistic or or even having uh your brain be more wired to um be depressed even mm-hmm. something like that so like this habitual way of being as as you are today um that's a culmination of experiences and, and habits and stuff so what these do is is you know as you've lived your life each of the things that you do the thoughts that you do that you have the patterns um, the way of life the behaviors each time you engage in one of those things you create a uh, wiring pattern in your brain where nerves or um, neurons are essentially connecting and talking to each other and each time you do that to create more efficient that, pathways by the way it's like your it's your brain trying to optimize right, it's, itself. Absolutely. It's, it's a, it's really a, a superpower that we have, uh, that all living things have that have a brain or nervous system, but that's, uh, essentially what happens is it strengthens that each time. And so it becomes more efficient over time. You could think about it like riding a bike in mud at first, it's a little rut. And over time you keep riding in that same place that rut gets deeper and deeper and deeper. Well, the problem with that is that it, it gets very hard to do things differently then because that's such a strong circuit it's like trying to, you know, you're riding your bike in this super deep rut and you see this really cool field over to the left and you want to go check it out, but you can't because you're trying to turn your handlebars and your tire is stuck in that rut. And so for people, it's like, 
man, I really, you know, I'm this person. I really want to be this other person. Mm. I want to make better choices, other choices. I want to do these kinds of behaviors that are good for me instead of constantly what I've been doing, which is getting me not in a good place. Mm. But it's hard, really hard to get out of that. And so psychedelics seem to smooth out those ruts so that when you come out of an experience, you have a window of opportunity to create new pathways. The problem with that is that it also could be used to create poor pathways Mm. again. Poor thoughts, poor behaviors, new addictions, same old addictions, whatever it might be. So if you don't take advantage of that window in a really supported way, in a way that um, is has, you know, you've applied forethought, um, people call this part of the process integration. But if you don't integrate appropriately, you will have had an incredible experience and feel really good for a little while. And then you'll end up back in the same place you were before you started. And sometimes that's more painful after the fact if you, because you know how good it could be. You've now felt how awesome it is. And your brain's going to send electricity down the most efficient pathway, right? That's, that's how it's always going to behave that way. So yes, uh, you, yeah, yeah, you, you have to take, I mean, I tell people to go into this stuff with a purpose, you know what I mean? Definitely. Go with a goal. Uh, what were you going to say? You always say what? Um, yeah, I, I don't remember. It was something about just making sure that you've got the right, you know, setup when you get home, you mm-hmm. know, with with family, um, that they can be supportive of you. And, you know, whether it's, you know, work situations, taking time off, like you really, you know, you owe it to yourself to create the best environment afterwards as you possibly can. So you can take advantage of that, that w- opportunity in that window. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good point. I mean, um, I've seen quite a few people go through some of these exercises and come out better for a temper for like a short time and then find, I mean, it's like anything else. You find yourself back around the same stimulus that created the issue in the first place. Um, exactly. But you know, to be honest, uh, it's quite a bit easier to, to shake the etch-a-sketch for lack of a better phrase than it is to repave your entire brain, you know, through physical labor, yep. I think. Um, as a matter of oh, fact, yeah, I'm not, absolutely. I'm not sure that's even possible. Maybe for some people it's possible, but there's always that voice, you know, and you make a good point about, uh, about just the, the intentionality of all of it. Like, it's not just some, in, in the early days, some people are like, you know, would say things like, it's like three years of psychotherapy in a couple of days for Ibogaine or ayahuasca or something. And I guess there's some, there's some truth to that, but the reality is that, it goes well beyond the ceremony or the event or whatever you're trying to do. I mean, it's, it's, mm-hmm. you think about it this way. Uh, it takes what, 10 weeks to establish a new habit, give or take, depending on the person. Um, mm-hmm. So you've got about a 10 week window post event where you can recreate who you are as a person. Now, it, and that's one of the things that I think is frightening to people like, well, I don't want to be a different person. Your, your personality who you are as a human being, your values and shit are not going to change. That's not what it does. You know what I mean? It right. changes your, primarily it changes your involuntary responses to things, right? Mm-hmm. And sharpens them up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, um, there's a lot of things that people could take advantage of that for. Um, sometimes people do actually really want to do it for trauma and they want to, you know, reprocess old trauma. Sometimes it's, you know, for people with traumatic brain injuries, it can be um, what people describe as a solid reset for a brain that feels like it's not even theirs anymore. So, 
you know, I don't want to I don't want to necessarily oversell it for those things because, again, everybody's different. But I mean, it's really powerful. These are really powerful tools. And like I said, these are these are tools and there are many other tools out there. But to your point, I I don't know of any others that are um, quite as powerful as psychedelics as a tool. And again, depending on what, you know, what, what your problem is and, and what tool you might need, it may or may not work for you uh, for that specific purpose. But I think there people should know about them because they are really powerful. And it's definitely up there with, um, you know, there's some others that can be really helpful for certain things that are also like they move the needle much farther than like, regular breath work and meditation, you know, that could take you years and years and years. And I actually, I have a friend who he hasn't done psychedelics. He hasn't done any of these other intense, like stellate ganglion blocks or mm. ketamine or any of that stuff. I mean, he's not, not Mert. He hasn't done any of that. He's just spent decades just with introspection and meditation and it's taken him decades and he is in a better place now, but it's been a long road for him. And you know, I, I think that's what he needed and that's the route that he wanted to go for his healing journey. But, um, you know, for other people, the thought of that is like, I, you know, I need help and relief now. I, I don't have decades. I mm. need to start, you know, moving things in, in the right direction now. And that's where some of these bigger tools can be uh, sort of, you know, help you move a little farther along in that journey. Now, but, for, for people who are trying to get into good routines after um, the, the more serious treatment, um, a lot of folks have had quite a bit of success with nootropics in a variety of different ways. I mean, even nicotine, to be honest, not necessarily for this particular option, but for people with people who have uh, whatever ADD or ADHD is. I'm not sure I agree with the way that this uh, pharmaceutical industry treats that particular problem. But nicotine yeah. can be a bit more effective at handling some of that stuff than Adderall, for example, which we're all addicted to, apparently. Uh, not, mm -hmm. not myself, but it seems like we're, we're like in a national Adderall shortage right now, yeah. uh, which is fucking bizarre to me. But um, talk yeah. about some of the nootropics that are available for this specific type of recovery, like uh, whether it's part of the initial stage or part of like just the lifestyle going forward, because I know you've talked about that mm -hmm. before. This episode of Citizens is also brought to you by GhostBed.com forward slash Drinking Bros. Right now, GhostBed is offering 40% off GhostBed bundles where you get a mattress and an adjustable base. For everything else, 30% off if you use the code DRINKINGBROS at ghostbed.com forward slash DRINKINGBROS. If you get the 40% uh, off deal, if you use the 40% off bundle deal, you're going to get uh, a mattress and all your stuff, your base, your sheets, your pillows, all this stuff for about 30 to 35 bucks a month. They've got a zero down, 0% 0 financing plan for up to 60 months, six zero months, that's five years. Uh, about the lifespan of the average bed. So it works out great for you, works out great for uh, the company. So go check it out. Go to ghostbed.com for slash drinking bros. Whether you're in the market for a bed, uh, an adjustable base, whether you just need sheets or pillows or any of that stuff, they got the best. The mattress protector, the weighted blanket, they have everything you need there. 30% off everything. Use the code drinking bros at ghostbed.com forward slash drinking bros. Or if you need that adjustable base as well and the mattress, get the bundle and everything else you add onto that deal is 40% off. This episode is also brought to you by Babbel. Right now, get up to 55% off your subscription when you go to babbel.com forward slash citizen. If you have an upcoming summer trip abroad, uh, my go-to travel hack is Babbel. Whether you're a seasoned traveler or embarking on your first adventure, communication is key to fully experiencing a new culture. That's where Babbel comes in. Babbel is a language learning app that sold more than 10 million subscriptions. 
And thanks to Babbel's addictively fun and easy bite-sized language lessons, there's still time to learn a new language before you reach your destination. With Babbel, you only need 10 minutes to complete a lesson so you can start having real-life conversations in as little as three weeks. Babbel's expertly crafted lessons are built around real life. You learn how to have practical conversations about travel, relationships, business, and more. Other language learning apps use AI for their lesson plans. Babbel lessons were created by over 150 language experts and voiced by real native speakers and not computers. Their teaching method has been scientifically proven to be effective, and you can choose from up to 14 different languages. In addition, Babbel speech recognition technology helps you to improve your pronunciation and accent so you don't sound like an idiot. There are so many ways to learn with Babbel. In addition to lessons, you can access podcasts, games, video stories, and even live classes. Plus, it comes with a 20-day money-back guarantee. Start your new language learning journey today with Babbel. Right now, get up to 55% off your subscription when you go to babbel.com citizen. That's B-A-B-B-E-L dot com citizen for up to 55% off your subscription. Babbel, language for life. This episode is also brought to you by FirstForm. Firstform.com forward slash drink it bros. The product they really want you using is the micro factor. It's a complete daily nutrient pack. Now what's in it? Antioxidants, CoQ10, great for heart health, multivitamins, uh, greens and reds, which is to say fruits and veggies, then EFA, which is to say fats that you need. And then they got a probiotic in there as well. It's an easy little packet. You just dump it all in your fucking mouth and swallow, uh, probably with some liquid preferably water um they got all kinds of other great products as well uh talking about those meat sticks the breakfast sausages meat stick is the best thing i've ever had in my life and of course they have energy drinks they've got all kinds of stuff over there they got great protein the best supplements on the market if you spend over 75 bucks you're going to get free shipping so go to firstform.com forward slash drinker bros and get those deals yeah i think it de- it depends on the person i would say for traumatic brain injury there seems to be um you know every, everybody's kind of got their own little mix i think pe- you know there's there's a reason that there isn't a um there there isn't a treatment for tbi right now because people have tried these things in clinical trials and they've failed and that doesn't mean they haven't helped some people it just means that the endpoints didn't like the clinical trial didn't meet its endpoint. So whenever you hear the clinical trial failed, it doesn't always mean that it didn't necessarily have a positive impact. It just means that, you know, they missed they missed what they said they were shooting for, essentially. Um, so, for example, like fish oil, high dose fish oil is something that uh, has been highly recommended by a number of um, top physicians in uh, for, for folks who are recovering from traumatic brain injury. Um, there are, um, you, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with Mark Gordon, but he's he's done some work in the TBI space mm. with um, a lot of folks from the special operations community. And uh, he's created his own kind of uh, proprietary supplements, um, if you will, that he uses and swears by. I have friends on his protocol and they've all seemed to have, you know, a pretty, pretty solid response, but they also were, you know, correcting hormone dysfunction mm-hmm. too. So that in and of itself is going to make a person feel a lot better. Yeah. Um, 
but it kind of depends on, you know, if you have any deficits, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things out there that I think, I mean, I'm in Montana, so everybody here is deficient in vitamin D. Mm. So, I mean, everybody, everybody in the United States (laughs) is deficient in vitamin D. Yeah, it's honestly, it's crazy. And it, you know, for anyone out there who drinks a lot, you know, magnesium and B vitamins, which are incredibly important for so many processes in the body. um, You know, if you're deficient in those, you're definitely going to feel like shit. And if you drink a lot, you're probably a little deficient in both of those. So I would definitely supplement with those. Um, Magnesium at night, specific ones can help you sleep. I know Huberman's done a ton of podcasts on supplementation. It can be sometimes hard to sift through all of his uh, his, his data and stuff. So, um, uh, but I know that there's there's quite a bit out there. Um, You know, as far as supplements go, though, I would just make sure that you're getting yours from a good source because there's been so there's been countless stories of things that are tainted or not what they're not what they're so you know saying that it actually is. And the last thing you need, especially folks from this community, you probably already have like heavy metal toxicities and you know high le- high levels of metals. Um, the last thing you need is to be taking a supplement daily that's got you know lead in it or mercury in it or something like that. So just trust your source with that stuff too. Don't go for the cheap stuff. Just really you know find find something good. Um, yeah. Yeah. On the, on the vitamin D thing. I mean, that, that definitely comes back to not, not just sleep, not just isolated with sleep, but about your entire, uh, rhythmic system in general. Right. I mean, the one thing that Huberman says that I think is probably better than anything else. I mean, he says a lot of, he says a lot of things and some of it is just like the sources, trust me, bro. Um, which is fine. I mean, he, I don't, I don't think he's harming anybody with the stuff he's saying, so it's fine. Yeah. But, um, yeah. getting up in the morning and seeing sunlight immediately is a good idea. Um, being mm-hmm. in sunlight for 30 minutes or more a day, if you can do that is probably a good idea. Like we, I talked to, uh, Brett, uh, Weinstein about this about a year ago. It's like, we're all taking vitamin D supplements, trying to catch up, but that might not be the problem. You know what I mean? We may not be able to catch up just using vitamin D supplements, no matter how much, whether it's five or 10,000 fucking units a day. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. You gotta go outside at some point. Like our our bodies have been wired this way for a couple million years now to see see sunlight in the morning and to also not see unnatural light at night, which is, you know. Right, that's a whole other, yeah. Like, I'm not sure exactly what the fuck we're going to do about that. Go, like, shut (laughs) off the lights by 8 p.m. and start using candlelight or something. But even then, you know, that's not the... Yeah, it's it's wild. I mean, I I spent uh, five days in the backcountry of Alaska last summer and just backpacking out with, with a buddy. And we were kind of in sync with nature, you know, we're at that time, it's certainly sunny most of the time in Alaska. So the circadian rhythm is a little wonky, but, um, you know, you black it out in a tent or, you know, whatever mm. you need to do. But, um, but just living out in nature, no screens, drinking water from rivers, uh, cooking at a fire and just having good conversation with good people, um, that I don't think I've ever felt such a powerful antidepressant effect, even after psychedelics, to be honest. I mean, I I was like flying high after that trip for weeks of just feeling incredible. And I think there's a lot of a lot of reasons for that. But that's the one thing. I mean, we live in cities with, you know, just we're, with technology and stimulation all the time. We're disconnected from nature. We're disconnected from the rhythms of of life with with 
you know, sun being primary example of it. And we don't take the time. I mean, we're always rushing around and distracted. And for what? Like what what's what's really on fire, you know? Um, but that's something that we've become accustomed to. So again, going back to that neural neural wiring, when you're really wired to be on the go. And for those of us as adults who, you know, probably have what they would classify as ADD or ADHD, um, it's actually really a powerful thing in a lot of ways and can be really beneficial. But like, you know, you just get used to being just on that that pace. And we don't take that, you know, 15, 20 minutes in the morning to just sit in the sunshine or mm whatever you know yeah so, like we've got hard. so much to fucking do i mean uh brian regan is a, he's a funny comedian he used to tell a joke about this he's like if you look on the back of um like instant oatmeal instructions it's like add water and microwave for 45 seconds it's like if you can't spend more than 45 seconds on bref- breakfast you may want to loosen up your fucking schedule a little bit dude. <laughs> right I mean, there's i promise you there's nothing that important that yeah. you can't do that and fr- and it's also kind of And I'm guilty of this myself, like just lying in bed a little while longer because you think you're going to get more sleep. You're not. You're not going to get any REM sleep in the 45 minutes left before your alarm goes off. So just get the fuck out of bed, to be honest. It doesn't make any (laughs) sense to stay there. Yeah. Um, The last thing I wanted to ask you about is I know, I know, as I said before, most of what we do in this in this arena is reactive and it's maybe, maybe by nature, it just has to be that way in some degree, but there's still a lot of people out there doing this work. There's still a lot of fucking first responders doing work like this. There's still a lot of military folks doing work like this. Um, have you found anything through your studies that, uh, you know, can be used as prophylaxis to make us more resilient against some of these things while we're actually on the job? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm actually working on a project right now that has to do with a um, bacteria that was found in the soil. In, um, and it's essentially, there's this theory called the old friends hypothesis that humans co-evolved with bacteria. And those are the bacteria that colonize our skin and our gut. So our gut microbiome, our skin microbiome. And they co-evolved with us to keep us um, actually healthy and, and really in physiological terms, kind of in a, um, more resilient anti-inflammatory type state. And one of the things that we're looking at without getting into too much detail on it is, um, because it seems to be extremely powerful, this particular bacteria and a few others like it seems to be particularly powerful for addressing inflammation and, uh, attuning the immune system in a way where, it promotes a healthier state and it actually can address symptoms of post-traumatic stress and inflammation in the brain following brain injury. Mm. And so the idea would be to, um, and you could think about it like a probiotic if you could have this thing in pill form. And ideally we would just be like rolling around in the dirt and, uh, you know, being colonized by this in real in real life, but we don't live that way anymore. So if we could take this as a supplement, it would, keep us in a state where if we were to experience trauma, if we were to experience a brain injury, if we're experiencing chronic stress, um, it, it keeps the system at a kind of a better baseline rather than, you know, those those extreme uh, peaks. So that's something that um, we know to be true. And that's, you know, there's no product out there yet today, but we're working on that. Um, so anything that can kind of keep 
in alignment with that idea would be helpful. So mm. one of the best things that you could do prophylactically is a good diet. So an anti-inflammatory diet, a lot of people just use the Mediterranean diet as the best example, but food can be used as medicine too. Um, so anything that, you know, that sort of is in alignment with that uh, kind of way of eating can be really powerful for keeping things a little bit more resilient. Obviously sleep, right? Like we've talked about that a lot. Um, so that's a huge one. Um, yeah, I mean, they're all of the, all the tools really. I mean, I, I'm kind of a whole kitchen sink kind of person when it comes to this, you're not going to be able to do everything in, in any one given day, but over the course of a month, the more of these tools that you can incorporate into your life, the better off you'll be, mm. you know, if that's yoga once a month, you know, or whatever, you know, there's a whole list of these things that, uh, I could provide to folks and, you know, it's like sort of choose your own adventure, but they all have really good benefits. And and really the key is to do things that you like, that you're going to stick with and that you can keep up with over, over time, because, um, you know, that's consistency is key with this stuff. Sure. And if you had, I, I know this is a difficult question, but if you had to estimate like how, what, what kind of time it takes to establish a baseline like that, what, what would you say like a month, three months, six months? Yeah. It depends on how sort of how far a person is from it. Mm. Um, but yeah, I would say if you can be consistent with, um, some of these things that I mentioned, whether it's, you know, daily or on a weekly basis, I mean, daily preferentially, especially with diet. Um, you know, I think people would definitely start to feel, uh, a lot of results in, in a pretty big way after three to four weeks. Unfortunately, you know, the people who who want an immediate effect, you know, you, you may not necessarily notice it the day of or even the week of. But I promise you, you know, if you if you stick with it, um, changing this stuff takes time. You know, we didn't none of us got here overnight. It's going to take some time to unwind from wherever we're at and, you know, detoxing and um, getting, you know, your inflammation under control. Um, you know, it's it's definitely going to take some time, but it it. it slower progress, but something that's consistent over the long haul is far better than, um, some drastic change that doesn't stick. Sure. So. Yeah. Um, a little bit of patience is always nice. Um, I think, yeah. uh, Axel Rose said that actually, if I'm not mistaken, um, before we get out of here, tell everybody about your organization and, uh, you know, if they're looking for information like this or, uh, you know, looking for treatment or whatever the hell else, how they can get in touch mm -hmm. with you or your orgs or whatever. Yeah. Um, so if anybody wants to get a hold of me, uh, Kate at this is the way com is probably the best email. And then um, working on the website, it'll be this is the way com. Um, finishing that up. And uh, I'm on Instagram at doc pate with a period between doc and pate. Um, that's really the main social that I use. And um, I will have a bunch of information up on my website, including a lot of these tools that I uh, mentioned and far more that we didn't mention. Um, but just for public knowledge, uh, because I feel like this is information that should be widely available and should be shared. So uh, I'll put a list of resources and information up on the site so people can check that out too. Um, yeah, and if anybody wants to uh, find out more, you can reach out to me um, if you have questions about coaching or um, you know, working in a retreat type setting or whatever, I'm, I'm available for all that. So I would love to chat with folks. Yeah. What's the, tell me the website again. Uh, this is the way back.com. It's not up yet. It will be soon. Okay, cool. I just, I'm just yeah. putting it in my, uh, in my notes here. All right. Well, look, uh, this is great. I really appreciate your time today. This is really good information. Uh, if you're out there and you need, 
if you're out there and you can you can hear me there's a pretty good chance that you need to listen to this shit to be honest um so take a look at it check out kate's uh instagram there's a lot of good information on there in the form of infographics and conversations and things like that um and you know take it as as you said before no one's come to save you you know so uh yeah you have to take it upon yourself to to make yourself better here and stop stop whining stop uh feeling like you're hopeless because however bad you feel right now we've all been there and uh a lot of us are on the other side of it now so uh again if you need any help with any of this stuff reach out to us reach out to kate um again thank you for your time today i really appreciate the conversation yeah thank you so much for having me yes ma'am and uh thank you all for listening this has been citizen What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.